Well, church, we are in the book of Jude as we look at this very small epistle, the next last book in the Bible. And Jude is dealing with the issue of not only opposition from without. You know, there's a small church in, in a large culture that is kind of non-believing as far as truth statements and and so here Jude is, and they're battling that, but really the issue he's addressing are what, we, what I would call the side door libertines who've come into the church and have won the affection of the people, and they've introduced this teaching on, on, on sensuality that says it's no big deal in the area of your sexuality, you do what you want to. And so Jude is just saying, Please be aware of what's going on and stand against them. But what impresses me about this book is just, you know, just one chapter, is that he begins the book rejoicing in the grace of the cross and the mercy of God, and he closes it rejoicing in the grace and the mercy of God. He says in verse 1, he says that those who are called... We talked about two weeks ago, effectually called into the kingdom by the outstretched arm of God through the preached, communicated gospel. They're called, we know they're called because they're beloved by God the Father and they're kept in or for Jesus Christ. So, so they're called and we know that because they're eternally loved and they are kept safe in Christ. And then he says this, may, may this uh, mercy, peace, and love be lavishly multiplied to you. Just, just layered and layered and layered on. Not, not added on, but multiplied. So it's just a positive statement. And then he closes the book with what may be the most famous doxology in the Bible. When he says this in part, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Not just joy, but effusive joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forevermore. Amen. I read that and I think this is, this is a, a wonderful way to think about issues. I want to glory in the greatness of Christ. I want to glory in the fact that mercy and peace and love are multiplied in my life. That I've been called unto him and I'm, I'm kept by Jesus. And I want to glory in the fact that this God who is glorious and triune and wonderful keeps me to the end and keeps me from stumbling and will present me faultless before the Lord with great joy. And, and, and as I think about that, let me deal with these issues. And so he says, think about this, but, but deal with this. And he talks about these people that have come in. He says in verse 16, they're, they're grumblers, malcontents following their own sinful desires, their loud-mouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. Verse 17. But you must remember, beloved, see, like beloved, dear friends, you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly Passions. It is these who cause divisions. Worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. Uh, so he says, in the last times, the last times are the times after the resurrection 
and ascension of Jesus and the poured out Holy Spirit. So we, this is the last times. We're in the last times. So he says, and in the last times, they predicted that there would be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. The apostles warned us. For example, in Acts chapter 20, Paul is saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders. He's been with them for off and on for three years or so. And he says this, he says, for I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own number. They will, ar- will arise men who speak twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. He says, he says men, he says, even from your own number, there's always going to be this, this people who depart and slip and slip and slip and slip, and they'll introduce all types of errors. So you've got to be strong in the faith. You've got to be centered on the apostolic message. So in, in, in the midst of that, he says, beware, beware, beware. And then he says this. He says, how do we respond? What do we do? He says, build yourselves up in the most, your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. He says, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Build yourselves up. As you build one another up, build yourself up as you build one another up. And, and in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter says this, verse 4 and 5, he says, As you, second person plural, as you come to him a living stone, the Lord Jesus, the living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So so he says, you know, you are, because you're in union with Christ, because you've trusted Christ, you are a living stone and you're part of this great mosaic, this beautiful house called the Church of the Living God with local and universal manifestations. You, you like living stones, you're there. Now, Jesus says, now, as a living stone, you build yourselves up. So several months ago, we were, we've had 10 core values for years. We still love those core values, but we thought, how can we distill that down to, to maybe four values that people can, can really remember and not be on the t- tip of their tongue? And so we said, okay, here are the four values. We want to believe in the authority of the Bible. That's, that's primary. And we want to be people who understand the importance of the family. The family is under attack today with gender questions and sexual questions and gender fluidity and pansexuality and the whole menagerie of bizarre stuff. So we want to make a very clear statement about the importance of the family, the nuclear family, the basic family, but also the family of God. And so we, we also want to talk about we want to serve our, our church, our community, and our world in tangible ways, primarily through taking the gospel out. And then we want to make disciples. Discipleship is a process that's never completed. We walk in the light. We build into the coming generations. So, so today I want to talk to you about, about the family. In Ephesians 3, verse 5, the apostle Paul speaks about the, the family. And this is what he says. Verse 15, I'm sorry. He says... He says, 
I, I, I bow my knee before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So every family. So there's, there's the nuclear family, but then there's the family of God. We've been adopted into the family of God. Now listen to this. The best way we can build our family, see, is to be part of this family. We're, we love this family, but the best way to build this family is to walk in obedience and be in fellowship with this family. Now, I you understand that. You and I need the body of Christ to build us up in the Lord. See, every person here who's trusted Christ is a living stone, and you're part of the mosaic. And as you build yourselves up in the faith, as you speak the name of Jesus and speak the gospel of Jesus and live and you imitate Christ, as you do that, man, it builds everybody up around you. And so we, we need the body of Christ. Now, years ago, there's a book released entitled, It Takes a Village, and it was written by Mrs. Clinton. And I didn't read the book, but I've heard all these people saying things like, well, we don't like this book because it talks about the nanny state, and we advocates that the state will take over the basic family. I, I don't know, but the, I love the title of the book. Let me tell you, it takes a church to build a man or woman of God. I've raised two kids, and I'm, I rejoice in that. I cannot tell you the number of times people in this church, time after time after time, loved my kids and spoke Christ to them and built them up. They just did. So, so the best way you can build this family or your individual life is to be part of this family. I'm so glad for the family of God. I'm so glad for fellowship. I desperately need community. I desperately need to be with the people of God. So, build this family by building this family. See, I, I, now that I'm counting the days, but in 31 days, the Citadel plays Coastal Carolina and starts the football season. And in 33 days, Clemson beats Georgia and Charlotte. And there are some people on staff, including Matt and EJ and Tony, who love Georgia. And there are the rest of us who walk in the light as he is in the light. And we like Clemson. So anyway, this, I, I, I love team sports. Now, if, you're, if you don't know sports, I'm, I'm sorry, but I think you need to understand this illustration. The best running back in the world cannot gain yardage unless the guys up front block for him. It's a team sport. And, and he knows that. You just, you've got to have these guys up front pushing people back. The best linebacker in the world, I mean, a Mike Singletary, for example, a best, the best linebacker in the world will not make a tackle at the line of scrimmage or behind the line of scrimmage unless these defensive linemen push against the offensive wall. It just doesn't happen. I love football because it is a team sport. I love team sports. Not so much individual sports, but I love team sports. Individual sports are fine, but I, I like to see people working together. We're a team. You have captains, you have elders, you have this. We're a team. And, and we need the body of Christ to build each other up. So, so Jude says here, how, how do you fight against these errorists? How do you stand strong? He says, you build yourselves up in your most holy faith. See, holy faith. And then the question is, well, how do you do that? And I'm going to suggest the text answers it by saying three things. Number one, you pray in the Holy Spirit. 
Number two, you keep yourselves in the love of God. And number three, you await from heaven your eternal salvation when Jesus comes again. So that's how you build yourselves up. So we'll go through those today. So number one, you pray in the Holy Spirit. Now let me tell you what I think it is not before I tell you what I think it is. It is not uh, praying in known languages that are called the gift of tongues, where you speak a language and there's an interpreter like at Pentecost, because that is a special spiritual gift that was given at for a season, for a time. Some people say it continues on, not getting into that, but it was given for a time. It's not a universal call to the church. This is a universal call to the church to pray in the Holy Spirit. Also, it is not groaning. In Romans chapter 8, verse 26, the Apostle Paul speaks of praying in with groans too deep for words. Listen, he says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. And this is the way it works. You've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed and you've poured your heart out, and maybe you're praying for a child or a friend or a neighbor, the salvation of a parent or whatever. You've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed, and you come to the point where you're just exhausted and you just cry out, oh God, in the name of Jesus, have mercy. Please, please have mercy. That's the groaning. That's the groaning that the Holy Spirit takes and brings into the, before the, the, the triune glory of God. So the Holy Spirit prays for us. But this text says, you pray in the Holy Spirit. So I don't think it's groanings. So what is it? Well, let me suggest to you, this is, that is, 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 is praying in the power and under the anointing mercy of the living God. That's it. And I'm going to suggest to you there, there are three elements, this is my personal opinion, three elements that we need to think through regarding praying in the Holy Spirit, which means to pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. Number one is this. If I'm to pray in the Holy Spirit, I must understand the glorious goodness and sufficiency of Jesus and plead for the fresh empowering that comes from the Holy Spirit. So in Ephesians, it says this, verse 3 of chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in Him. So the sufficiency of Christ. You've got Jesus, you've got everything you need for life and godliness. Verse 7, it says this, In Him... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses or according to the riches of his grace. So, so we have every spiritual blessing. We have redemption. We have the forgiveness of sin. Chapter 2, verse 5. When we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. We're in Christ. We have union with Christ. By, by grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ, 
so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So, so we're, we're, we're raised with him. This is our position. We've been raised with him and we are seated with him. We are in Christ. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. We have union with him. So we understand the sufficiency of Christ. And as we do that, and understand that he wants to empower his people. We go to chapter 5, verse 18 that says, And be not drunk with wine, which leads to dissipation, but be continuously, present tense, filled with the Holy Spirit. So, so point one is I understand who I am in Christ and I understand that he longs to bless his people. And so I come to him and I say, Lord, by your mercy, empower me afresh with the Holy Spirit. I'm a leaky bucket. And I, I need fresh empowerings. I, I need for the Lord to work in me. I'm, 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 there. I'm a leaky bucket, you see? So, so that's what you do. You, the sufficiency, and he wants to empower you. Step two, I must be a person who walks in repentance. Um, Proverbs 28, verse 13 says, uh, he who confesses his sin, or excuse me, whoever hides his sin does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them will obtain mercy. If you conceal your, your sin, you, you, don't, you don't prosper. You don't, if you don't deal with your sin. See, we are to renounce and run from our sin. And we deal with sin every day. So pro, the same word prosper is used in Psalm 1, where it says uh, about the godly man, he's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf never withers, and whatever he does prospers, which means to flourish. I want to flourish. And the writer of Proverbs says, whoever conceals his sin doesn't prosper. Listen, we need to confess and run from our sin. Um, whether it's destroying things that need to be destroyed in our life, they, you know, media stuff, or, but, but, but walk from it. And there's a, a hundred applications. Um, this, a friend who's a a guy, I love this guy, he's a pastor for many years. He told me this several years ago. He said he was at, at a coffee shop having coffee with an attorney in his church. He was a godly, godly man. And he said he, he looked up and beyond outside of the window was a, a young woman jogging. And he said she was incredibly beautiful and she was dressed in pretty tight clothing. And he said, he said, I didn't go over the line, but I did look up and I kind of, she got my attention. I thought, that is really, really a good looking woman. He said, yeah, okay. But as she made her way around the restaurant, they're sitting in the corner window and she came over here and his attorney friend could see her. He went, oh, and he closed his eyes. Pretty dramatic, oh. He said, God help me. And my friend said, you know, that may have been an overreaction. God said, I think you can say beautiful woman without going into sin, but it really kind of chastised my spirit. That am I that sensitive to thinking thoughts I shouldn't think? Oh, you, know, you, you go into a conversation, you're, you're usually guys, you, you go into a conversation, a group of guys, and somebody starts telling a joke, and you know it's going to be off color. And if you don't know them very well, you just, you just kind of walk away. Or, or if you know them enough, say, hey, guys, let's not go there. Or somebody's talking, giving some statements about whatever. And if you can, you say, I mean, we need to understand, renounce, and walk away, run away from our sin. And, and because the Bible says that we, we can grieve the Holy Spirit, 
that we can quench the Holy Spirit. So we understand our provision and the empowering presence of God. We walk in known repentance. But I want you just be holy people to the glory of Christ so that you can see his mercy and walk in his ways. Number three is this. We make application of the Bible as we read it and ponder what the scripture says. There's a guy named George McDonald that says, obedience is the opener of the eyes. So if we're just here to read the Bible to get knowledge, to, to do this, to do that, eh. but if, if you really, we should be reading the Bible, the second Timothy says, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We should read the Bible and we should plead, Holy Spirit, take this word and apply it to my life. Teach me. So if I'm to pray in the Holy Spirit, I've got to say, Holy Spirit, you teach, teach me. Now, there's a, a show I've enjoyed watching, just a few episodes. It's called Manifest. It's a science fiction type show. And the story goes like this, that there's a family that's flying from the Caribbean Basin to New York, and they're separated for some reason. Part of the family goes on this flight, and part of the family goes on the second flight, and the family goes on the first flight, leaves the Caribbean Basin, and arrives in New York in two and a half hours. The other family gets on the plane and they disappear for five years. Just five years. They're just, and so five years later, they land and they think it's been two hours. It's been five years. And some people, well, what's going on? And, and um, the, the, the mother has died of cancer. One of the people, the young woman who was engaged, he thought she was dead, so he married somebody else. And the, the twin, one of the twins who was nine is now 14, and the other guy's still nine. I mean, they were, they were gone for five hours on a three-hour flight. Be careful who you fly with. This happens occasionally, all right? So, so anyway. Um, but anyway, they, they get there, and, and, and there, there are five, everybody's going, what's going on? But part of what happened to them is they, they hear voices. It's called the calling. And so just, so... The main, one of the main characters is riding a bus two days later, and she hears a voice that says, stop the bus. And she goes, who said that? Stop the bus. And then the third time, stop the bus. And she gets up and says to the bus driver, sir, stop, stop, stop the bus. He says, what are you talking about, ladies? Just stop the bus. Please stop the bus. And he hits the brakes, and just hits the brakes, a little boy chases a ball across the street. And he says, if you hadn't told me to stop the bus, I'd have hit that little boy. How did you know to do that? She said, I don't know. And then later, they, she's going by this warehouse parking lot, and there are two dogs barking in there. She hears a voice saying, set them free. Set them free. And so she goes, well, that's weird. Keeps hearing it, set them free. So she and her brother who are on the flight, both hear the same voice. They go there that night, set the dogs free. They'd forgotten that there are cameras everywhere. So the police arrest them the next day. And they hauled them in, and they said, please, to the place, they said, don't, don't, don't press charges. And the guy's kind of seedy, this warehouse, and she keeps hearing the voice, set them free. And so she walks to the back of the thing with her brother, and there's a refrigerator car, a cargo thing, and she set them free, gets bolt cutters, cuts the bolt off, and there are two women in there who are being sold into sexual slavery, set them free. Not the dogs, the people, they just got the wrong message. Now, that's not the way the Holy Spirit works. So don't, don't go there. Maybe rarely, but I don't, ne never in my life, never in the life that I read in church history. Here's how the Holy Spirit works. You take the word, you ponder it, and you make application to your life by the power of the Spirit. That, that's how it works. Give an example. 
couple of examples. So I am not a generous person. My wife is. I'm not. So I'm in Nashville, the Southern Baptist Convention, and um, I'm, I'm, I get up in the morning early and I read and I study. And so I'm, I'm studying scripture and I'm reading a book by Randy Alcorn on a generous lifestyle, which we'll be thinking about in a few months, but it's, it's a great book. And I'm, I'm, as I'm reading the book and pondering the scripture and thinking about it, I, think, I say, Lord, make me a generous person. I, I'm not generous. I want to be more generous. I want to be, it, the Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive. Uh, you know, it's, it's, make me be a generous person. Jesus says, given it shall be given back to you. I mean, you can't outgive God. So I said, okay, write it down in my little journal, this little journal. And so I go to the convention, we leave for lunch, and there's 15,000 people there, and we're shoulder to shoulder. It's not a COVID-friendly environment. We're shoulder to shoulder, and we're like this. And, and so there's a, uh, as I'm going out, I look over here, and there's a young couple with a special needs child. And he's got a breathing apparatus, and... And uh, not, not to be overly descriptive, but uh, probably about three, and he'd, they were trying to get out because he had soiled his diaper, and he just the, the odor was bad. And I'm talking to them, and they're young, and just started their, you know, being in their first ministry. And I'm thinking, generous. So I said, I said, you know, I hope you don't mind me doing this. Just, I really don't do this very often. Bracket, I'm not a generous person. But I've, here's, I had $20 in my pocket. I said, can I give you this and let you just buy part of your lunch? Would you definitely? Well, thank you very much. That's it. That's the end of the story. But, you know, it's just, you've read the Bible. You've thought about it. You're reading the Bible, for example. You're reading Ephesians 4. If you're a thief, don't steal any longer. In fact, work with your hands to bless other people. And you're going down the road and your neighbor's building a garage and you have carpentry skills. I couldn't do this. So it's a safe illustration. So you have car, you go to your neighbor and say, you know, I've got, I've got a free hour. Can I help you build this room to your garage? Or there's a single parent in the church and they have a couple of kids or maybe a foster family. And you say, you know, we want to come over Thursday night and give you guys a three-hour break. Only three hours, not more than that. A three-hour break, go out and have a meal or a shop. We want to, we want to. see, that, that, you read, the Bible should teach us, brothers and sisters, Knowledge leads to obedience. Obedience leads to knowledge. Secondly, keep yourselves, he says, in, in the love of God. And you said, if you're reading the text, you're going to, wait a minute, wait a minute. So, 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 so the, 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 the same root word is used in verse 1 where he says you're kept for Jesus or kept by Jesus. In other words, you say, well, if, if Jesus is keeping me, I, I get that. Secure, safe, seated in the heavenlies. No one can touch me. I'm in the Father's hand. And, and then verse 24 says that he's able to keep you from stumbling. Again, he's keeping. But this verse says, you keep yourselves in the love of God. How in the world does that work? Here's how it works, I think. I think when he says, keep yourselves in the love of God, he's saying continuously glory in the gospel of grace and the forgiveness of sins. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. Because so many of us are spring-loaded. We're programmed to think, I've got to earn. I've got to do. I've got to earn. I've got to do. Jesus paid it all. So recently, two weeks ago, I had an aunt. My dad's only sister died. And she was 92. The funeral was at a grave site. Only we have, some, we have a doctor in our 
and her immediate family, and he was very concerned about people getting sick. And so they decided to have a small graveside service. And quite honestly, almost all of her friends have passed away. So there was about 25 people there. My brother, my faithful, gracious, wonderful brother, who's a really fine man, went. And <clears throat> so I call him the next day. And I say to him, well, how'd it go? You know, we had one cousin flew in from New York. How, how they doing? And he said, it was, it was, it was, it was okay. It's about 20 minutes. And my brother is not critical. He's just really much nicer than me. I said, well, you're holding back. He said, well, the pastor was there. And he spoke for 10 minutes. He didn't use the word Jesus one time. And my aunt was a professing Christian. And I thought, God forbid, God forbid you ever have a funeral of someone who claimed to be a follower of Christ and don't talk about the hope of heaven because Jesus died on the cross for our sins and by his shed blood we've made made right with God and we have the hope of heaven. God forbid. Listen, preach the gospel to yourself every day. So I called my mom, going home. My mom's 91, and she's a wonderful woman, wonderful woman. She comes from a family where there's alcohol abuse, and she worked hard to earn the favor of her family. And she still struggles with that treadmill of, I got to do it. It's all up to me. She does. And she's, she's wonderful. So I called my mama, and I said, well, mom, are you doing okay? I know it's been a rough week. Yes. It was hard to see Marie die. But I said, well, mom, you know that every day we get one day closer to heaven. And then she said this. She said, yes, I hope God finds me worthy. And so I want to say, can I call you back in two minutes? I want to pull the car off the road get out, find a tree, and beat my head against a tree. I've had this talk with her 30, 40 times. And she's just spring-loaded. I mean, so I, call, I, I say, Mom, I said, do you know that you, as much as I love you, you deserve the hottest fire of hell? You do. All of us do. There, there, there's, there, there's nothing we can do to earn God's favor. Jesus did it on the cross for us. Apart from the cross, we have no. She says, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that. And I thought, oh, oh. I called my brother. He said, I'm, I had this, I've had the same talk 20 times. You know, so, so some of us are spring-loaded. It's only the word. So, so how do you keep yourself in the love of God? You glory in the gospel of grace. You glory in your, your adoption through the work of the cross. You glory in the forgiveness of sin. You glory that Jesus is our sacrifice. So, so I, I say to you, keep yourselves in the love of God. I think of the hymn by John Newton that says, how sweet the name of Jesus sounds in our believer's ear. It soothes his sorrows, heals his wounds, and drives away his fear. If you want to be a blessing to people around you, if you want to be part of a, of a body of believers that are continuously building themselves up to bless the city and bless the nations, then preach the gospel to yourself and rejoice in it and be glad. And then thirdly, it says this, you must, you must wait for the mercy, as you wait 
for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. You say our citizenship is in heaven and we await a savior from there and there's a glorious day coming when I will see the Lord face to face and and the most beautiful, glorious, ironic, satisfying experience here as far as auricular um, hearing or seeing is is gonna be multiplied 1,000 times the new heavens and the new earth. It's gonna be glorious. That's that's what we do. I I was at a, a wedding last night and the groom just stood up and he just talked about Christ. It was wonderful. And he quoted from one of my favorite hymns and he, he quoted the stanza that goes like this. It's called The Sands of Time Are Sinking. He says, he said, the bride eyes not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face. I will not gaze at glory, but on my king of grace. Not at the crown he giveth, but on his nail-scarred hand, the lamb is all the glory in Emmanuel's land. But the first stanza says this. The sands of time are sinking. Life is going. The sands of time are sinking. The dawn of heaven breaks. The summer morn I've sighed for. And the fair sweet morn awakes. Dark, dark hath been the midnight, but day spring is at hand. Glory, glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. I need to realize that heaven awaits and be glad in that. Now, glory in the gospel. I mean, we're in this garden where there's fruit and it's beautiful and it's glorious. And when we get on the train that says you got to do, it's like you walk into a desert where there's 9% humility, humidity. I know that's not possible, but that's what it is. So we wait for his mercy to be revealed um, I I was uh, won't believe this in high school I ran sprints I ran the 100, 200, 400 3A high school in North Carolina 4A was the highest classification but you know I, I never won the 100 meters came in second a good bit to 100 yard dash won the 200, 400 occasionally but what, my, my point is I was not fast, but I wasn't slow. I ran sprints. So the Bible says the outward man is perishing, but the inner man is being renewed. My daughter had a baby 12 weeks ago. It was a beautiful little girl. My daughter in the last trimester was trying to work out and run and she fractured her foot. So she had to wear a boot for six weeks. On top of that, when she had the baby, she had some sciatic issues. So she limped. She couldn't walk well. She had to limp everywhere. It just you felt bad for her. She, she had been, just gotten the boot off. She had sciatic. And so it was just bad. She's fine now. But so over the house, the little baby's three weeks old. My wife is holding the baby. My daughter's sitting over here. I'm sitting there. She has two boys. The youngest of two boys is 23 yards in the corner of the yard. And he starts screaming. Well, they're fire ants around. Basically because our neighbor never kills his fire ants. And so we inherit them. I kill them all the time. My neighbor never does. It's just like mound after mound after mound after mound. It's just like, it's like being in the Himalayas if you're a small little kid, but they're everywhere. So, so my wife says, he's probably in fire ants. Run. So I get up and I start running. At about the 12 or 13 yard mark, my daughter blows by me. 
Now, she's, she's had a broken foot. She's got sciatic nerves. And she and, and she's blows by me. And I, she's there, and I, I get there. I can't say anything because I'm out of breath. It's 23 yards. It's a long way. And I get there, and I say, and, and I, I just start laughing. I said, you know, this is a perfect picture saying the outward man is perishing. I can't, I can't dash anymore. The other day, my wife told me to run and get a grandchild. And she said, run. I said, I am running, you know. So, but, but so see, my point is, Christians are the only ones who have, I believe, the right to laugh at getting old and dying because the best is yet to be. Because the outer man is perishing, but the inner man is being renewed day by day. A guy named John Donne, a great poet who's an Anglican preacher who loved Jesus, said, Death be not proud, though many have called thee mighty and dreadful, for thou art not so. For those whom thou, thou thinkest thou overthrow, die not, poor death, nor can you kill me. See, glory awaits. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Be part of this family that builds these families. And as a living stone, as you build yourself up in the faith, pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourself in the love of God as you glory in the gospel and wait for the eternal glory of heaven, which gives you an equilibrium and a joy and a patience. And everything is not a high red issue when you realize there's an eternal reality that far outweighs everything else. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the... Thank you for the, the scripture. Thank you that this little book has been preserved for our understanding. Thank you that as we pray, we pray in the name of Jesus because our meteor, mediator is Christ and our sufficiency is in Christ. So we pray that. Um, so God have mercy upon us. Lord, I, I just pray that as, as believers in Jesus, that we would be men and women who build up one another in faith as we pray in the Holy Spirit and as we glory in the gospel and as we eagerly await the redemption of our bodies and we groan waiting for heaven. Lord, thank you for that. Give us that. Propel, compel, teach. Show us that in Jesus' name. Amen.